Hello once again everyone and welcome back to episode 10 of the IMDb Top 50 Marathon Podcast. Um, yeah, as always, thanks so much for continuing to listen. It's a really nice feeling now that we're 20% of the way through now. I uh, hope you've all had a good week. Looking forward to the weekend. Um, I think today's the start of spring, so uh, we can all say goodbye to seasonal depression and welcome some standard depression. Well, hey. Um, Alright, so as you'll know by now, uh, this is a podcast where we go all the way down the IMDb list of the top 50 highest rated films of all time, ranked by user reviews. Uh, I watch them, I talk about them, and I give them a rating of my own. Uh, I'm sure you know how it works by now. If not, go back, watch the first episode, please. Um, right. Uh, this week, as you can see, uh, we'll be talking about The Usual Suspects, the 1995 crime drama with Kevin Spacey, among uh, many others. Um, it's got an 8.5 out of 10 on IMDb, an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a flat-out 4 out of 5 on Letterboxd. It's another critically acclaimed 90s film this week, one that I've heard great stuff about from many people, so... Alright, let's just get into my thoughts about this one, starting as always with my plot summary. So, hardened criminal Dean Keaton lies badly wounded on a ship docked in San Pedro Bay. He's confronted by a mysterious figure who he calls Kaiser. He shoots him dead and sets fire to the ship. The next day, the police discover 27 bodies and only two survivors. Arkos Kovash, a Hungarian mobster hospitalised with severe burns, and Roger Kint, nicknamed Verbal, a con artist with cerebral palsy. US Customs agent Dave Kujan flies all the way from New York City to interrogate Verbal. The events that led Keaton, Michael McManus, Fred Fenster, Todd Hockney and Verbal onto the ship are then described by Verbal via a flashback. Six weeks earlier in New York City, Verbal and the other four criminals were arrested as suspects in a truck hijacking only to be released thanks to Edie Finneran, Keaton's lawyer and girlfriend. They then decided to pull a heist to get revenge on the NYPD. Led by Keaton, they rob a jewel smuggler, uh, being escorted by some corrupt cops, netting millions in emeralds and uh, getting over 50 cops arrested. They uh, then went to California to fence the jewels through a man named Redfoot, who connects them with another jewel heist. The heist goes badly and the men learn that the job was arranged by a lawyer named Kobayashi. They meet Kobayashi who says he arranged for their arrests in New York and that his mysterious uh, employer, Kaiser Soze, a mysterious um, Turkish crime lord who each of the men unwittingly have stolen from, he's ordered them to raid a ship manned by Argentinian drug dealers and destroy $91 million worth of cocaine being sold on board. Their reward will be the cash bought for the exchange uh, and being freed from Soze's influence. So, during Kojan's uh, interrogation, it's learned that there was no cocaine on the ship after all, and that Soze was seen on board. Verbal then tells Kujan, a legend about Soze, that there was a small-time drug runner who murdered his own family when they were being held hostage by Hungarian mobsters, and then massacred the uh, mobsters and their families before disappearing himself, doing business only through underlings made unwary of their employer. Soze thus became a fearsome, uh, like, urban myth. Um, it gets described as a spook story that criminals tell their kids at night. Uh, so, concluding his story, 
Verbal reveals Fenster was trying to uh, flee the men that threatened Kobayashi, only to accept the assignment uh, when he threatened their loved ones. The men attacked the ship during the night, killing several Argentinian and Hungarian gangsters before discovering there is no cocaine. Hockney, a prisoner in one of the cabins, McManus, and then Keaton, are all killed by an unseen assailant who sets fire to the ship as Verbal looks on from a hiding place on the dock. Kujan deduces that uh, Keaton must be Soze, as the prisoner killed on the ship was Arturo Marquez, a smuggler who had escaped prosecution by claiming he could identify Soze. Marquez was being represented by Edie Finneran, who had also been recently murdered. Um, Kujan claims that the Argentinians took Marquez to sell him to Soze's Hunga- Hungarian rivals, um, and Keaton then used the assault so that he could kill Marquez personally and then fake his own death. Verbal finally confesses that Keaton had been behind everything, but he refuses to testify in court. Verbal's bail is posted, but then he's released. Um, moments later, Gujan rele- um, he realizes that Verbal had fabricated his whole story by piercing together uh, details from items posted on a crowded bulletin board in that office where he was being interrogated. Kujan also um, realizes that the name Kobayashi came from the brand on the bottom of the coffee mug he'd been drinking from. Meanwhile, Verbal walks outside, gradually losing his affectation of a limp and flexing his supposedly disabled hand. As Kujan pursues Verbal, um, a taxi arrives from the hospital where Kovash has finally been provided a facial composite of Soze. The picture resembles Verbal, confirming that he and Soze are one and the same. Kujan rushes outside to find Verbal, but misses him by moments as the latter disappears into a car driven by, quote-unquote, Kobayashi. So, yeah, I was a definite fan of this film, and I was really happy to learn a bit about the backstory of it. So the idea started out as a short story of the same name published in the newspaper. Um, Director Brian Singer then thought this would be a cool name for a movie, (laughs) and before he even wrote the script or uh, the basic kind of synopsis, he had the movie poster sorted. Um, Kevin Spacey got involved saying he'd like to be in whichever kind of film Singer made next after he saw Singer's first film at Cannes, uh, where it won the Grand Jury Prize. And this was a big pull for the film, obviously. I mean, the mid to late 90s was probably the peak of Kevin Spacey's career. Um, and yeah, and he really went above and beyond for this role uh, when making his character's physical disabilities more visible. Uh, he glued the fingers on his hands together and he filed his shoes so his limp would appear more convincing. Um, young Benicio Del Toro we see in this as well, in a role I was a really big fan of, uh, despite how short-lived it may have been. And well, um, when Del, Del Toro first read the script and realised his character's only real purpose was to get murdered by Kaiser Soze halfway through, uh, that's when he decided to put on that um, wacky accent that we see in this as an affectation. Um, so yeah, the whole lineup of cast members here really plays their parts well, uh, not overpowering each other at all, but all being really memorable and having defined character arcs. Um, I've always been a big fan of movies with heists and criminals, and I think this is one of the best films to have ever gone for that. Uh, right from the offset, we're plunged into the action, and admittedly at first I did find what was happening a bit hard to follow, 
And if I let my guard down for a second, sometimes I would feel a bit confused about what's happening, but that wasn't too much of an issue. Uh, because the movie knows when to tone things down a bit and make way for the more uh, subdued moments. I think you can't really give enough credit at all to Brian Singer and Christopher McQuarrie, um, the screenwriter. McQuarrie, sorry. Um, Singer does an excellent job of blending humour into his noir thriller. Um, There's enough to avoid a sense of slowness, but not so much that the usual suspects ever becomes like a campy or anything. Um, unlike other films in the genre, this one really continuously builds to its conclusion. Um, it starts out as a story of a very small job, then evolves into a massive search for this dreaded Kaiser Soze character, a legendary criminal of such viciousness that even hardened men like Keaton think twice before ever uh, crossing him. The Usual Suspects moves towards its inevitable finale, um, and as it does that, Soze's shadowy presence becomes uh, increasingly more ominous and important, and we get the sense that those who think they hold the cards actually have the weakest hands. Uh, in the way it folds its various elements into a single resolution, which the more eagle-eyed viewers will be able to guess beforehand, I couldn't, uh, Singer's film can be accused of, I guess, toying with the audience, which I, I like. Um, this film is really an accomplished blend of noir elements and an entertaining ent entry in the genre. Uh, and as expected with such a complex narrative like this, there's plenty of other really nuanced elements to talk about. Uh, like the use of colours and lighting. Uh, beginning with the opening scene, dark coloured shots lit by a flame quickly give this feeling of flashback being inevitable, and that's obviously a central element of the film. Um, and its non-linear structure. One flashback at the beginning is the arrest of the uh, first suspect in the gun-loaded truck hijacking, and like a classic crime drama mixed with a cliched flashback. Um, yeah, but with a with a high-drawn spotlight focused on the arrest of the first suspect, and the colour is uh, dulled by the bright light, and the shot gets overexposed in a way, uh, leaving few other things uh, than the bed and the offices distinguishable. The, bu uh, the blue hue of the sheets combine really nicely with the classic feel of an obvious stage light. This isn't the uh, last time that the director, singer, uses this light to distort the shot and create this fuzzy effect of overlighting. Uh, as our main characters stand in the lineup at the police station at the beginning, they're illuminated with this light. Uh, and in the subsequent subsequent scenes of interrogation with each of them individually, this light really pervades the scene with uh, stereotypical face glares and the kind of police interrogations that you'd expect out of uh, uh, maybe slightly more campy crime films. Um, we see again the lighting overexposing the set when uh, Kent and Cle uh, Keaton are at uh, Keaton's apartment. As the light comes in through the window, the two characters sit directly in that light. In between the window and the characters is a massive, colourful piece of art, and this art strikes a really violent theme of colours as the two characters decide to join that uh, job with the three other criminals. Uh, so in short, the lighting really provides this eerie environment, especially in the flashback scenes, which contribute to the overall mysterious nature of the film in general. Uh, the cinematography is another obvious standout feature in the film. 
It features a lot of uh, close-up and medium shots, adding to the sense of claustrophobia to a viewer that's already heightened by the subject matter of the film. And just like how the plot itself is really non-linear and hiding many secrets beneath, the camera angles provide mystery too, uh, making the eventual climax all the more effective. So yeah, on a technical and tonal level, this film really hits it out of the park for me. Um, it's intelligent and complex, but it knows when to find ways to lighten the mood a bit without ever seeming tacky or cheesy. Uh, like in the iconic lineup scene, which was pretty much all improvised, by the way. Um, especially on the part of Benicio Del Toro, apparently the whole laughing fit um, that they have in reading their lines, that was meant to be a super serious scene at the beginning, but apparently um, they just used the shots in between takes because... Uh, Brian Singer says that Benicio Del Toro kept farting and all the characters kept laughing at that um, so they just took the lines where they just couldn't stop laughing at what they were saying I thought that was really effective because it shows a more kind of human element to these criminals and when you know that backstory behind it I know it just humanises the characters a bit and I'm a fan of that um, so yeah when you've got a team this talented in front of the camera and behind the camera all approaching the height of their careers individually, you're always going to get something really polished, and this is no exception to that. If I had to pick apart what I maybe didn't like though, uh, I think the quote-unquote character of Kaiser Soze could have been constructed and represented a bit better, just to make that final plot twist really hit. Like I said, you do have to make sure you're really switched on for this movie, and since it didn't always feel like Kaiser Soze was as central to the plot as he was the full impact of that realisation at the end might get a bit, you know, a mixed reaction from some audiences. Uh, but obviously, overall, I think this is a really special film, and I was happy to see another well-acted spacey film after loving L.A. Confidential, American Beauty, and Seven, all coming out within, like, five years of each other. Like, he was really up to it in the 90s, wasn't he? Um, overall, I'd give this a 7.5 out of 10, I think. Um, I was able to really appreciate the nuances of this film, but it didn't 100% hook me in, um, nor the dialogue and choreographed action scenes were fantastic. I think the central plot itself let, um, left a little bit to be desired due to the whole non-linear narrative thing. Uh, some people have compared that element of it to Tarantino, but I don't, I don't really like, you know having like a cross comparing between directors works like that I think it's best uh, appreciated just as its own kind of thing um, so yeah um, regardless I'd call this an overall really incredibly solid film and I'd put this in third place of the films I've watched so far for the podcast uh, just below Leon which I watched last week and just above Once, Once Upon a Time in the West I was able to watch this, rent it for £3.49 on Amazon Prime, but I think you can get a free trial of a service through Amazon Prime and see it for free, um, but I'd already redeemed that, so I wasn't able to do that. Um, so yeah, either way, if you're big into mystery thrillers or just want to see one of my personal favourite screenplays of the 90s, uh, then definitely check this out. Uh, Alright. Next weekend, we will be looking at American History X. Uh, I watched this one a couple of months ago, I think like January or December, and it features uh, my personal favourite actor, Edward Norton. So I'll be excited to talk about that one with you next week. Um, in the meantime, got to plug the Instagram, as per usual, at Top50Podcast. Give it a follow, 
for all the updates. Um, thanks so much for listening, uh, and I'll see you right back here next weekend uh, for episode 11 of the INDB Top 50 Marathon Podcast. See you then. <laughs>